Thank you for choosing to listen to episode number 33 of Kansas City Food Memories. Remember, this is a taped presentation of a live radio show, so do not call in or text in when prompted during the show. If you have any suggestions, go to makethemsmile.com. That's a website for the business that I own, which makes this show possible. And shoot me an email or sign up for the newsletter. Love to have some feedback, and maybe you can help me find somebody to put on the show. Sit back and enjoy. Good morning. This is Robert Dunsing, and thank you for tuning in today to Kansas City Food Memories. We're live every Saturday at 10 a.m. to take a stroll down memory lane and talk about the good old days. We share stories about our favorite restaurants, food, people, and places from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. This show is made possible because of your support of Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. My wife Sharon and I absolutely love Kansas City and view this show as an extension of our bakery and restaurant. This is who we are. I first, in the early days, I first decided to call this Kansas City Food Memories as food is what really binds us all together as a wonderful community. However, we've become about much more than just food. It's also about the people and places that help define Kansas City. And if you have not yet done so, this will be a good time to put the phone number into your phone. The number for the to reach the station is 913-586-7798. That's the phone line and text line for 98.1 KMBZ. Plug that into it. Again, it's 913-586-7798. We'll wait a few minutes before we open up the phone lines to get into the stories. But if you have a question or a comment, you're welcome to text that in anytime that you want to. Now, I've been looking forward to this for a long time because uh, I've never personally met today's guest, but I've always wanted to visit with them. And it's, um, it's, it's a little bit of a twist. Usually I talk about old restaurants that have been gone for 30 or 40 years, 30 or 40 years. But today, um, Colby is actually an award-winning chef with a nationwide reputation, which is interesting. Um, and he could have really opened up a restaurant anywhere. But the reason I have him on is that Colby grew up here in Kansas City. Colby, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So where did you go to high school at? Uh East. Okay. You know, if you're from St. Louis, anytime you meet somebody, you always ask, what high school did you go to? You know, which is kind of funny. I've I've heard that. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, so you grew up here in Kansas City. Yes. So let's let's go ahead and do this. Um, You went into the food food business in an amazing way. You went all in. I mean, you've uh, how many awards have you won from James Beard? I've normally when you win, you win once for regional, but we've had a total of fourteen nominations. That is. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I know that that doesn't happen by accident. No, it doesn't. It's okay. a lot of dedication. All right. So, so when you were younger, um, are there any restaurants that you really remember that stand out that kind of pushed you towards a food business? Uh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I've never done anything different. I my first job was at Pumpernick's at Ranch Mart, and I probably started working there in 1986, 87. And uh, but I grew up going to the old Boots and Coats chicken place on uh state line 130 state line we went there like every thursday night when i was a kid that was when my dad's favorite place all his friends were there so that kind of what ended up starting us on the journey where we are today okay so on boots and coats um you know i've I've, i'm trying to find somebody that was with the restaurant and so I've, i've had a couple leads that fell through their family, I think it's the wife, and I'm dying. I can't remember her name right now, but they've been in. Okay, and uh, they've I've I've actually talked to them. 
my father went there like the last day that they were open and got a menu from them. And when we opened Rye, uh, he had it framed and we actually had it in the men's room as just okay. kind of, <laughs> you know, decor. Yeah. And uh, someone told... I'm guessing that wasn't your wife's decision to no, put that in no. there. Okay. I, yeah. I very rarely get my own <laughs> decor stuff slid under yeah. the radar. But uh, yeah, anyway, someone told her it was there and... They, she came in with her kids and said hello. And okay. I mean, this is right when we first opened, right. which was ten plus. 10 well, I'd ago. love to find somebody from the family. Yeah, I'm, I bet I could do that. I yeah. just needed. Well, it's just fun. The it. listeners love hearing those stories from people that were involved. Yeah, Costello's greenhouse. Yeah. You know, Vince Costello passed away, but I had his wife and his family on. In fact, they gave me their recipe for their um, Italian wedding rice. Reading oh, wow. soup. Yeah, that's And great. I serve that, you know, and I'm looking forward to bringing that back. Yep. So you said you worked at Pumpernick's. For, do you remember who owned that? Yeah, uh, uh, the guy's name started with Ed. I don't remember. Last name I mean, Gold. Yeah, it was. Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. here, so what's funny is that um, th- that is the family of my landlord. Oh, really? And I've heard that story recently, and, and it's, it's, it's like I'm trying to decide if I want to talk to my landlord and see if I can get a family. Or yeah, usually you, you want as little contact as possible with your landlord. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. If you talk to him too much, it's generally a <laughs> usually co- yeah yeah <laughs> usually end up costing you <laughs> doing that one. All right, so you started off working at just a couple of places like that. At what point did you know you wanted to go into the food business? I, I basically, I had a friend in high school. I, I So I worked there, and then uh, I you know, bounced around. I ended up working at Long Branch, the one on Metcalf. Okay. Through All the way through high school. I love that place. And, all the uh, signs on the yeah, on All the, the signs, like, yeah. yeah. And uh, one of my friends was said that, you know, he's like, I'm going to go to culinary school because I... He's like, you might as well come with me. We don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> and it just kind of started from there. And <clears throat> I really enjoyed cooking when I was younger. And I, I loved barbecue and that whole, you know, just the process of it. And I, it just kind of took me on that journey. I went to Johnson County and, you know, it. I went from starting with barbecue and bar food to, you know, a whole culinary, you know, experience and just learning how to cook for real. And yeah, it, yeah it was... Uh, yeah, it's okay. the only well, thing I've ever done. All right, so before we get into the fancy stuff, what food, other places do you remember eating at that that had made an impression on you? I remember going to S&J's in Ward Parkway Mall, the the oyster place. Okay. Um, you know, I'm thinking obviously we went my dad my dad loved fried chicken. We'd go to we'd go to uh uh Stroud's obviously. Right. Um I'm trying to think where else. I remember going to La Med once, the, which was on the plaza years ago. Okay. Um, I remember going to Starker's, the the Starker's the casual okay. one. Right. Yeah. Uh, on the plaza. But, yeah. And my mom loved Bowling's. We used to go to that one on the oh, yeah. The Chili's when it first opened, when it was, you know, just a burger joint. Um, you know, and then all the fast food stuff, like Taco Villa and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, Taco Villa. It's um, Jasper gets Jasper and I both get a little bit of grief online because <laughs> we talk about restaurants we go to, but there's two places that we probably get the most grief for eating at and, and actually admitting publicly. Taco Villa is one of them. Oh, Taco Villa is Yeah, great. and then Dixon's Chili. Yeah, I've never been to Dixon's really? Chili. Really? No. You know, it, it's... Um, it's so good. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, you know, if if it's not competition chili, it's not no, something you're going to get. It's a, more like Cincinnati chili in texture, yeah, yeah, right? Like, uh, yes, yeah, similar in texture, but without yeah. the cinnamon. Right. But, you know, I go there, uh, my wife, we go there probably once a year, you know, to get their, their chili dogs, and I'll get a couple of tacos. But it's to me, it's paying respects to restaurants that laid the path for all of us that still exist here in Kansas City. Right. Because, um, you know, they're over 100 years old. Yeah. It's, um, yeah they're it's, not the oldest. 
uh, Brown's Irish um, uh, delis, they're a little bit older. Okay. I'm trying to get them. Uh, I and mean, that's gone through several families, <laughs> you know, generations. But, but you know, I, I, we love going to both those places. You know, there's a – you probably don't eat that kind of food anymore, do you? What What do you mean? Like like um, Dixon's or, or – No, or I do. Taco Absolutely. Bia. I mean, there there'll be times where I'll just, you know, during the day or a week, I'll like – I've never been there. I need to experience yeah. that, and I'll just I'll make yeah. a pilgrimage or whatever. Yeah. But like Taco Villa and stuff. I mean, I to- I grew up on that. <laughs> you know, we I grew up. You know, I grew up in the '80s. We all rode skateboards and did all that oh, stuff, yeah. and, and we called it skateboard food. Taco yeah. Villa was skateboard food. Yeah, and we ate there all the time. So yeah, well, you know, any place that has the taco sauce in a pump. Yeah, I mean that's that that tells you and something. And the nacho and the pebble <laughs> ice, like oh, there's yeah. just all these little things. Yep. That... Yep. But you know, I love that. And it's <laughs> what's really funny is that some people think that if you're a high end chef, you do amazing foods, that that's all you eat all the time. Yeah. And and it's and it's. I not. don't eat a lot of McDonald's and stuff like no, that. No, I, I, I won't. Anything like change. anything like local that's yeah, old yeah. and fast food. It's like I mean that's technically that's kind of what barbecue was supposed to be. It's at one point. You yeah, know? it's supposed to be quick and go in and grab a sandwich and yeah. You know what was the first barbecue place you remember eating at? First barbecue that, that you really mm. that. Probably Hayward's. Probably Hayward's. All right. So um, I know you you don't have time. You travel a lot. Don't have time to listen to the show. So I had Rod Gray on. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, uh, amazing barbecue professional. He's head of the Kansas City um, Barbecue Society now. Yep. um, I know Rod The first barbecue place that he fell in love with was um, right after he graduated from Emporia State was Hayward's. Really? Yeah. Yeah, my my grandpa loved that place. Oh, yeah. He'd always go there for his birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I had Mark Tobin, you know, that was yep. just over here. Um, he he does a lot of barbecue catering. He's pretty well known for that. And that was the first one that he fell in love with, too. Yep. And what was interesting is that it wasn't just a dive. It was actually kind of a restaurant. But Hayward Spears was always either in the bar or the restaurant to mm. talk to you. Yep. And that just wasn't done. Yep. You know, when you know that, I mean, the, the Gates and the Bryants are great. I mean, you know, but they're, they're higher volume places. And you didn't see the owner out there talking to everybody all right. the time. I mean, they, they couldn't. Right. You know, cause it's, well, and I grew up in Southern Johnson County, so that's where we were kind of, you know, f- that's where we ate basically. So yeah, you know, so it, it's yeah, you know, so that's interesting that that you kind of feel the same the, the same thing. And oh, I just got a text from um from Jasper. <laughs> He's laughing because we're we're talking. Oh, he uh, uh, Jasper has a radio show at eleven o'clock right after mine, and Taco Villa is going to be on his show. Oh, that's He's talk- great! Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, we we got to keep it real. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I we went to the one in the mall at Metcalf South and the yeah. one at Ranch Mart were the the two that we oh, yeah. went to all the time. And I don't know if that's really a national chain, but I mean that felt local I, to me. I well, I mean they're obviously going to be on his show, but I think they kind of shuttered for a little while yeah. and they reopened. So yeah, because there's one over in Topeka. Yeah, when I went to oh, college, is there, over the, oh, there okay. was yeah yeah over there. Love love doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but you know that's what's kind of funny. Some of these different places that that. That make an impact on you. Absolutely. And then some of the places that we've had, um, John Francis, we had them on the show down Old Overland Park. Yep. I don't know if you ever went there. When I you're... don't know if it was, I don't know when they sh- wrapped up. I don't know if it was around when I was younger. I definitely remember hearing about it. And like I told you before the show, one of my father's de- friends talk- talks about that place all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was an old school fried chicken place. Yep. And um, I usually, the listeners know, I don't like talking to my guests ahead of time. We had a few minutes downstairs, and I, I did, I did make an exception. You and I were talking about the friars that they had yes. over at John Francis. That yeah, I'd never heard that for, story. That's pretty. Oh, interesting. I mean, it, it's and um, I remember when I was talking to John Francis. It wasn't the original. That was his. I think his grandpa and his dad were both John Francis, but he just retired from the Overland Park Fire Department. Oh wow! Yeah. And but he said that he's always wanted to find that because 
Uh, John Francis was the local franchisee of what was called Chicken in the Rough. And I think there's one or two still left in the country. But that was a proprietary frying yeah. grill that was made just for them for doing fried chicken. That's crazy. It's hard to do right. I mean, fr- doing fried chicken in a commercial atmosphere and doing right. it at a volume, yeah. there's a lot of logistics involved because, uh, you know, you've got to be able to hang on to it. You've got to be able to... It's got to be. It's got to be right. It's got to be cooked. Yeah. You know, I remember we opened. We struggled for a while to figure out how to do the volume, and you know, we'd get people send stuff back. You know, and it's not quite. You know, it's it's kind of a it's a challenge. Yeah, a fried chicken has been something that we've talked about probably at almost every show, single show. <laughs> and Jasper and I were talking that we wanted. I'm thinking we're going to do a panel discussion, and I'll probably invite you back just to talk. Everybody complains that fried chicken is not as good as good as it used to be. People are really, really sensitive about fried chicken. Yeah. And it's kind of the same. It's not the same, but it's kind of the same thing about, you know, barbecue. It's different, but it's the same. Everyone swears that so-and-so's is better than so-and-so's. And, And, you know, when we opened, it was kind of the same discussion with pie. Mm -hmm. We are a little worried that, you know, you have people come in and, you know, grandma's pie is no one's is better than even when grandma's pie might be terrible oh yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's yeah. the memory of it yeah. you know and it, it's kind of difficult to, to you got to make sure that you well know, you know you, uh, part, part you of it a quality is, product yeah part of us the, the the product the ingredients uh, absolutely. and we've talked about that chicken is different now than it was 30 40 years ago i know it is i mean it's we use high quality birds just because it, okay know. so you do it you buy as close to the chicken that we used to eat back in the 70s and 80s so Probably. I got to ask you. I bet you. How many times do you get complaints that the chicken breasts aren't as big and well, or we, as huge uh, as other places? We use two companies. We use a company called Cooks Venture, and we use a company called Redbird. Okay. And it's finding the the right spec is right. always a challenge. We we sometimes we have to supplement and bring in breasts, and sometimes they're huge, and sometimes yeah. they're not. And I the volume we do. I mean, I do. I kind of fight with my reps all the yeah. time. I'm like, I need this certain size breast, and uh, you know, it's crapshoot if you're going to get that or not. Yeah. So, yeah. But I don't really hear complaints about size. I, if anything, I mean, when we first opened, they were too big, and we would cut them in half, <laughs> and then I get complaints about that. Yeah. So we just went back to yeah. you know serving whole breasts, but sometimes they're big. Yeah. So well, you know, fried chicken is a lot like a pastrami, the pastrami sandwich. You know, because uh, we just started making our, our pastrami sandwich again, and people, they they complain and they whine. They miss the days of the old Jewish deli that had yep. that that one-pound pastrami sandwich. Yep. You know, but that that day's never coming back. No, and it's it's interesting with restaurant concepts how people are like, why isn't there this or why isn't there that? Well, if there was a market for it, it'd be here. Right. You know. Well, but, but sometimes it's beyond that, like on the pastrami, when... When the pastrami first came to the United States, to New, to New York, there was a large Jewish population that came from, I think, Romania and a couple other countries. Their pastrami is made with duck oh, because yeah. duck was the cheapest protein they had in that part of Europe. When they came to New York City, duck was expensive. And so the, the cheapest protein that existed that would be kosher so they couldn't do any, any uh, pork products was the brisket. Yeah. So it was dirt cheap. Nobody used that. that's it. That's interesting. Yeah. So so that's what they did. So they could, and the the population, the niche that they were selling to were hard, were the working man, and so you know they needed a big meal of inexpensive protein, and so brisket was the cheapest. Well, I mean, if they're doing brisket back then for, I don't know, maybe forty cents a pound, 
is what they're buying it for there. You can do a whole pound of meat if that's what you're doing and sell it for seven fifty. Yeah. But now brisket's yeah. costing us oh, what eight bucks? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's eight dollars. So we're paying fifteen times more for yeah. that. And so they want a pound of meat on a sandwich, but they're not going to pay forty five dollars no. for it. But that's if you wanted that exact sandwich, that's what you'd have to pay. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a whole different subject, but food prices, especially oh, still today, I man. mean, meat prices are ridiculous. Yeah. How have you responded to it? Do you just... I just, raise my prices. Yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, you know, we don't really it, have any choice. Well, no, well, no, there is a choice because there's restaurants that will they'll compromise... Quality. The quality. Yes, which we will not and do. I, we will not do either. I mean, that's the niche that we do. I mean, we have a reserve steak program that is called that for a reason. It's yeah. like we have a whole other menu over here yeah. where you can get hanger steaks and pork yeah. chops and everything else. But you want a nice steak, I'm, you're going to, you know, we're going to serve prime. And yeah. I'm sorry, but you're going to pay it's what we're paying for ab- it. Absolutely. Know? There's, there's a formula to the restaurant business that people sometimes like, how dare you do this? Or why do you do this? And it's like, there is a formula that works. And if, yeah. you, if you vary from it, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, it's, it's brutal. And it's what irritates me as a consumer um, is that when I go to a restaurant, they compromise on the quality. Mm-hmm. And then they compromise on the size, the serving mm-hmm. size, and they raise the price. Yep. And to me, is keep the keep the serving size the same, unless it was obscenely huge, then bring it back down a little bit. Yep. But but you got to keep the quality. Quality. And is, I don't care what the price is. The quality I mean, is what's important. Yeah. You know, once I get the meal, if you know, if it, if the meal ends up being sixty dollars for the two of us or something like that, and it was a great meal, I don't care. Right. You know, but if it was forty dollars. But I was disappointed. Yeah, that's, that, it's I'm a never generational thing, too, I think, a little bit, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's uh, – you mean that you think the younger people don't care as much? Yes. I, I disagree. I feel like the older generations are the ones that I hear the most from. Oh, you mean complaining about the yes, changes? about okay. prices and okay, things no, that, like okay, that. Okay, I agree nature. with you then. It's interesting that, you know, we were talking about boots and coats earlier. That menu that I have, mm-hmm. it's in my office now. But, I mean, you could feed a family of four for $20 in oh, yeah. 1987, yeah. 88 or whatever. Yeah. And that's just not even yeah. a reality anymore. No. You know, it's, it's, I try to get people to understand that, you know, this this is who we are. And if and for us, you know, because we're a small little place, you know, that, um, that we're going to have our niche is the highest quality. I'll charge whatever I've got to charge. If the market supports us, then I stay in business. Yep. But if they're not going to support it, then it's time for me to find a new job, a new career. Yep. Because that that's that is the hill I'm going to die on, yeah. and I refuse to. The last thing I want to do is to make those compromises, not make it. And says, well, yeah, you know, the last couple of years I was there, I wasn't really true to what I did, and I won't know if that's what killed killed the business. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's, that's all you can do is just stay on the path yeah. and do what you were yeah, trained and, to do. And you guys do that. Yeah, you, you've done that. Yeah. All right. So um, let's get back to okay. So you you went to uh, culinary school, and then did you go to Chicago? Yeah, first, well, I worked here in town quite a bit. Um, I worked at the American. I worked at, I did my apprenticeships at country clubs, Lock Lloyd and Hallbrook. <clears throat> and then uh, I took a job at a tiny little restaurant in Westport called The Stolen Grill, which is where Pot Pie is now. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> I was there for probably two and a half years. And the guy that was the chef there, Pat Weber, he moved away and you know, suggested strongly that I do the same. He's like, you need to spread your wings. So at first I was going to move to New York and uh, I was actually dating a girl at the time and um, she was going to probably have to be the breadwinner because I knew I was going to work for nothing. And she, she worked for a local or not a local, a national retailer here in town. Well, they had a place here. 
she couldn't get a job in New York, but she called and said, hey, I find they can give me this position in Chicago. And I said, okay, let's do that. So we moved up there. Um, I worked there for two years, met my wife, um, and we went from there to Las Vegas. I spent a couple of years with Jean Joho at the Eiffel Tower and then at Oriole at Mandalay Bay. And uh, actually at Charlie Palmer Steak at Four Seasons, I kind of worked, they were kind of the same group. And then uh, moved to Los Angeles, took chef de cuisine position at a little restaurant in Venice Beach. And my wife was the pastry chef at the Getty Museum. And then <clears throat> I was just kind of starting to get to the point where I was tired of working for people. I was young. I was, you know, on my off time, which was very little. You know, I, I basically work six days a week and yeah. had Mondays off. And Sundays I worked doubles most of the time. And I wrote a business plan why I was, you know, miserable and moved back. And then Megan and I got married and, you know, moved back home and opened Blue Stem. Okay. All right. So a couple things. Um, my listeners understand I jump around a lot because yes. I just, I hear everything. <laughs> All right. So how many names can you mention that you worked with at the American restaurant that we would recognize? Because that, um, was, that was amazing. I mean, I worked with Michael and Debbie Gold. Okay, right. And, th- I mean, th- they were pretty much the only two that were there. I mean, this was, I don't even know what year that is anymore. I was probably 94. Okay. And, yeah, I was there for about a year. Oh, okay. So, then, you, so you didn't overlap yeah, with... Yeah, no, I was kind others. of... It was, I was in school in that era, and it's funny because I was just in California with Michael for a week in wine country and his wife. Um, but I was trying to finish up school. Okay. And there was the, the <laughs> culinary school is a little bit different than it is now. And you had to have all these requirements done. And, you know, I worked at the country clubs because they kind of offered everything. Yeah. Like you get breakfast training and pastry training and stuff like that, that I couldn't get at some of the other restaurants I worked at. So, okay. Yeah. So, cause uh, I think Christopher Elbow went through there. Yeah. We were, the, he was with us and yeah, okay. actually Christopher Elbow, when I lived in Las Vegas, he was at Eiffel Tower restaurant literally two or three months before I got there. I didn't even know him back then. Oh, okay. But you know, he was, if I would have met him there or, you know, I would, we would have been friends for that much longer. Yeah. I eventually want to have him on the show too. Yeah. Cause same he's thing. A, he's a an amazing guy. talent that could go anywhere in the country. Yeah. Chose to come back here. He's a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> and all that. So, um, all right. So for, uh, there's. A lot of people out there, there's a TV show called Bear. Yes. Have you, have you watched it? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> Too much PTSD? Um, it's just really strange to watch how they dramatize, yeah. you know, kitchen life. Yeah. It's it's not as, it's emotional in a totally different way than they portray when yeah. TVs and movies. Yeah. You know, they in TVs and movies, they put all this... You know, love and emotion, and we—it's not really no, like that. <laughs> no. But but the um, people have asked me on on the show Bear because it's talking about a a um, award-winning chef who worked at a, a at an amazing restaurant, went back to his brother's place, right. just did Italian steak sandwiches. I kind of feel like I need to go watch it again because because of the, I know they go into the fine dining side. Yeah, uh, yeah, on season two, on season two, but on season I, one, what's interesting is that what people are shocked at is how rough the business is. Oh, yeah, it's, it's you know, rough. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. They, they, they say it's not real. I said, no, it's like that. Well, it used to be a lot rougher. It's yeah. gotten nice. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it, politically, we've learned you can't abuse people yeah. the way that. And you were probably on the tail end of that. But I've I, heard stories. I was, it was when I worked in Chicago and Vegas a little bit. Chicago was brutal. Oh, you had it soft. <laughs> I mean, I'm oh. working at that level okay, of okay. restaurant. So how we was at. it brutal? I mean, it was just Dog eat dog. It's yeah. like you you literally, you woke up every day and 
you know, I, I started as what's called a roundsman, so it's the last step before you become a sous chef. Okay. And I wasn't qualified for that job. And uh, they, you know, it's just everyone hates each other. No one's there, anyone's friend. Yeah. You know, you're, it's constant sabotage. When I was a roundsman, my job was to work everyone's station on their day off. So I had to go in and set up their station, work it, and then leave them set up for the next day. Well, they would never leave me set up because they had the day off right. the next day. Right. So and I was just it. constantly, you know, in the hopper yeah. every single yeah. day when I went to work. And, you know, I had a kid that would, you know, I worked on the meats. If I, you know, overcooked meat, he'd stomp on my feet. He'd throw my stuff away. I mean, yeah, it's All right, so let me ask you. It's so, brutal. So you paid your dues back then. So now yeah. that you own your restaurant, is it like that for them, or do they have no, a lot easier? No, it's just, you know, I think a lot of it, too, was it was the culture of restaurants at that level. Yeah. It was the culture of the restaurants at that time. And, you know, my restaurants, even at Bluestem, it was so small that, you know, we all were standing next to each other 12 hours a day. and. Mm-hmm. You know, you naturally become friends, right. you know, and you take care of each other and help each other out. You know, the the restaurants of, you know, the French Laundry level or, you know, the Charlie Trotters level. You know, I actually, when I moved to Chicago, I staged at Charlie Trotters and I think he offered me like 70 or $80 a day, you know, for a 12-hour <laughs> work day. Yeah. I couldn't even pay my rent. So yeah. I yeah. just, I had to turn it down. But basically, I did what's called staging. I staged there for two weeks, which means I worked for free for, free. for two, two weeks. And then he personally took me up in his office and sat me down and offered me a job and then told me that he needed me to stage for another week before he could start paying Jeez. me. And then that was where the $70, $80 a day came in. And yeah. I was just like, I... I and what other business would that be allowed? <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, but it's... it's and the only reason they got away with it, that's what people did. Yeah. And then the restaurant I ended up working at, the way they did overtime was they paid you by the shift. That was a very familiar thing back then. And they made you record your hours, but once you hit 40 hours, then they only paid you half time on top of that. So oh. that was time and a half. Well, they've already paid you for your time. So then every hour oh. after that is half time. Yeah. So, yeah, I was. it was a whole different world. Yeah, see, progress, <laughs> progress can be good, you yes. know, moving, you know, because that's, that's just not... That's not sustainable. No, it's not. But, you know, the thing about it back then and the mentality, and I still don't, you know, regret it, it was just the fact that I'm working towards something. Yeah. You know, I'm putting in my dues because I'm getting the experience. And, you know, it took me to where I am now. I'm not saying that that anyone else should possibly do that, but it's (laughs) or go through that. But it is. It kind of made me who I was. You know, it was sacrifice. It's that whole mentality. You sacrifice your 20s. So when you get older you have a foundation and a future. right well you know like for anybody who reads a stephen king novel you know it's just that you have the main character that just goes through hell yeah you know and it turns into the person that they end up becoming which is admirable but nobody should have to go through that to, to end yeah. up at that place yeah it's probably not i you know like i said i personally don't regret it but i don't really no. advise anyone else yeah. w- w- would through. you wish that on your child no absolutely no. not no. yeah all right so um okay for those of you out there if you have a random question about an old restaurant or bar you can call out go ahead and call in now or if you have a specific question for colby about um either of the restaurants he has somebody online asked me if you grew up around 98th and how 
That's exactly the street I grew up Okay, on. so whoever that person is, if you have a story about Colby, you're welcome to call <laughs> in. Phone number is 913. <laughs> you should have thought about that before you confirmed that. 586-7798. You can call in or, um, or text in over there. And if you uh, love food and you want to become a part of the process, be sure to follow Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. The number one way is to sign up for our email newsletter. Go to makethemsmile.com. The second thing is to follow us on Facebook. And if you had signed up for the newsletter, you'd have found out that we were giving something free with every meal this week ending in today. And you'll also find out that we're, what we're doing next week. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, we have about 15 followers there. I do a lot of interaction. If I'm trying to decide what direction to go with their menu, I'll ask for feedback there. And that's that actually has turned out pretty good for, for us. And if you've been putting off going to actually Best Regards Bakery Cafe, now is going to be a good time. If we've learned anything on this show, that is not to take anything for granted because you just don't know what restaurant's going to last. Uh, last week, we lost my number one favorite restaurant in the world, Genghis Khan Mongolian Grill. I, my family's been going there for over 25 years, and so that was, that was brutal. So um, if you've got a place you want to go to, go check them out. Now, this week has um, actually been an absolutely brutal week for us or for any restaurant in the business with the heat wave. People don't want to go out. They decide to stay home. But our number one sandwich that we have this week is a brand-new pastrami sandwich. We make the pastrami in-house, a house-made sourdough marble rye that we make from scratch and the Thousand Island dressing. Uh, really pulls that whole sandwich together. So I'll be honest, I think it's probably overtaken our porchetta sandwich as our number one, which I put that in the email, and I immediately got a text from Jasper saying that hey, he doesn't believe that. Our porchetta sandwich is his favorite. Today's going to be the first day of our biscuit and gravy flights. That starts today and Monday through Friday. And be sure to sign up to the email newsletter because um, every month from now through the end of September, um, we're going to be open for dinner on Wednesday nights. That's something we don't normally do. We're going to do that to kind of expand our base just a little tiny bit. So go to the email, sign up for that email newsletter because I also have a discount code for ordering online. So be able to come do that. All right, so Colby, i got to tell you, so most restaurants that um, that we go to, because we've cut back a little bit on, we used to eat out probably nine or ten meals a week mm-hmm. going out to different places. Uh, we've cut back a little bit, time and, and money, mm-hmm. you know, kind of watch that. But most of the restaurants I still go to, there is a single dish that drives me to that restaurant. You know, that, that really makes it. No, don't worry. Don't, don't <laughs> quit your squirming. I'm just going to tell you that you don't get credit for why I go to Rye. I mean, oh, I, I know I don't. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, if, I, I hear it all the time. If I want a big, thick, juicy burger and price no object, I'll go to your place. Right. I mean, that, that, that burger, I mean, it's just cooked perfectly. But to be honest, the only reason that I go to your restaurant as often as I do is the lemon meringue pie. Yep. I'm not surprised. And it's just, I, you know, I, I, I'm a decent baker. You know, I create a lot of different things. I will not even try to make a lemon meringue pie. Yes. She is incredible. She, she absolutely, I, I hope um, you can talk her into coming on my show. I'd love to just sit and talk I, with I her. I almost asked her if she just wanted to come today anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it, it's, we'll do it separate. That's, 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 that, that works out a little bit better. But I, I, she, her lemon meringue pie is absolutely divine. I mean, just every part of it. I, I'm, it, it is. If you have ever met my wife, <clears throat> she is, she is very much a perfectionist, not in a crazy way, she's just, you know, like when she basically developed the pie recipe, you know, we have another friend of ours that's a big food guy. He was a writer for a while. 
Um, I mean, she sat in her kitchen at home, you know, developing that crust and did about every single thing that you can imagine to try to, you know, figure out what to do. And I mean, yeah, and it's 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 definitely the anchor. One of the anchors of our restaurant is just her program. Oh, it, it's it's absolutely it's it's yeah, it's beyond description. Yeah, it's there. And then on top of it, Kira, Kira, who's our you know our main pastry chef, I mean, she's outstanding. So. Yeah, no, they're, they're you may they're have other desserts I will never find out. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I they have a lot of stuff. It's really I, good. Well, I will not try it. <laughs> so, if any listeners out there, if you are obsessed with lemon meringue pie and have, have never had one that just changes your world, this one does. You know, the biggest thing about what Meg does is she doesn't make things too crazy sweet. She she knows how to balance flavors really well. She adds salt. She adds, you know, acidic flavors, and they're balanced, and that's why they work. Yeah. That's real, real fantastic. All right, so somebody's asking, Colby, where, what restaurant do you have? I just got a text. Somebody just tuned in late. Well, oh, we own Rye Restaurant. Okay. Uh, we have one uh, in Mission Farms in Leewood, and then one on the plaza. And then we used to open, or we used to have Blue Stem that was in Westport. Right. And we closed out in 2020 just because we were tired of fine dining. Yeah, because uh, uh, fine dining is a totally different animal. It's In all lot. honesty, do you miss that at all? No. Yes and no. I miss my restaurant. Yeah. It was obviously, you know, our first one and very sentimental, but I, you know, towards the end, it's like I was just losing the passion of what it takes to do that. Yeah. You know, it's constantly having to pay attention to what's going on, who's doing what, trying to, you know, when people invent certain things like you're trying to go invent something else and yeah. it's just i have people all the time like when are you going to open blue stem again i'm no. yeah you know no. i don't understand i don't know how to tell people that i would have to sacrifice your family my family my life yeah. and it's no. just i've done that yeah you know i've, I've done that so. yeah uh, did you use tweezers while plating? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See, people think that's a that's a, a TV or a movie cliche. No, no, no. I mean, I, even when I I just did a tomato dinner with Michael Smith, and yeah, I mean, I still use them when I do. So you can't get peer pressure. No, no. I mean, you need them. Yeah, it's it's the whole thing. It's just how to how to plate things properly. Yeah. Yeah. Spoons and tweezers. Now, I yeah. don't do that at rye, obviously. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a well, for your listeners, I don't do that at best regard yeah. to you. <laughs> no, no tweezers. No tweezers for plating. I know. People, People. I know that's become kind of a, 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 a joke or whatever, but when you... When you work in that environment, you, if you spend some time back there, you'd understand why yeah. you do it. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I remember about uh, before COVID, so probably about four or five years ago, people said, you know, your food's amazing. You know, you need to put like garnishes on your plate and do things like that, and you'll be much more respected. And I said, you know what? I said, if people can't respect that porchetta sandwich or whatever I'm doing for the quality of what it is, yeah. I'm not going to waste my time Absolutely. putting garnishes on it to get that respect. Absolutely. You know, eat it for what it is. And yeah, I, mean, I don't use paper plates, but. Yeah, but I mean, to me, it's just, you know, it's a different thing. It's just, and I'll be honest, I just I'm not a blue stem kind of guy. Yeah, I'm a rye kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, from what we discovered, most of the city is the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, that's the thing about fine dining. You know, there's a lot of people out there that think it's pretentious, and you know, but to me, growing up, it was the you know, it's like F1 racing versus yeah. you know, sprint cars. Yeah. You know, it's just. You know, I, I I say that all the time. If I was a mechanic or I did, I would probably be doing the precision side of things. Yeah. And that's what led me to that side yeah. of food. And then I woke up one day and said, you know what? This isn't making me any money and it's exhausting and I'm going to do something else. Well, good for you. And now you have a family. And I have a family. You have yep. family. Good for you. Right. Okay. So 
Do you remember Trey's Ant Farm? Well, Trey is my was my best friend growing up. I right. don't remember the ant farm, though. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I, oh, they, Ant's Farm or no? Well, it just says, um, this is Trey Trey's Ant Farm. So I, that's your neighbor, I think. Possibly. That, that was over there. He said he still lives on Howell. Oh, wow. Street over there. Uh, so you're with Ryan. We're going through the, um, whatever happened to Macaluso's? Did you mention them? Uh, no, but yeah, we were, I, that was a great place. Tommy was legendary. What was that? What? No, I haven't heard Italian that place. place on 39th Street, Tommy okay. Macaluso. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly why. I think it was the same thing. I, 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 he was getting older and I think he had some health issues and, okay. um, he, unfortunately he passed away a couple of years after he closed it, but no, Macaluso's was You know what's fantastic. interesting? When we first, when I, so I started the show back in January and so the very first time, you know, we'd get the... Uh, you know, Stevenson's, they miss Stevenson's. They would talk about, um, you know, Annie Santa Fe, Placid yep. Three Steakhouse, some of those, the, you know, the Gilbert Robinson restaurants. Yep. But, you know, as we go, people are starting to, they're, they're, it's reviving old memories of like Macaluso's. Yep. Boots and Coats. Yep. You know, they're... they're Cafe they, Allegro. Oh, yeah. Know, there's tons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just fun. If I, if I, what I, what I like to do is I just want to find somebody from that family that works there. Sure. And it could be one of the kids that grew up working in there, but the stories you hear all of a sudden revives those other old memories. And that's pretty good. Oh, so somebody just asked us at random. Says, what's a biscuit and gravy flight? So over at Best Regards Bakery, um, I make cathead biscuits, which, you know, a southern-style cathead biscuit is on a totally different level than the biscuits we make up north that the Yankees make. And they used to say that you can't make a southern-style biscuit unless you go buy the flour from the south. And so I did, so what I did was I did the research to find out what chemically made that up. So I found a way to re- replicate that flour here so I have cat head biscuits. And then we make our um, sausage gravy. So the sausage, the gravy flight, I have the classic that's made with the uh, spicy breakfast sausage from Paradise Locker Meats. Then I have the chorizo sausage, and then I have the roasted portobello mushroom gravy that is vegetarian, but it's absolutely amazing. So if you can't decide, you can go to Best Regards to get the gravy flight. So it's a candid biscuit with three servings of gravy to be able to try that. That's as fancy as I get as a flight. <laughs> but it's a, so I will do that one over there. All right. So um, what, what, how do you think, how has the restaurant scene changed and how do we as consumers need to have a better understanding and change our expectations? Uh, as far as just well, speaking on behalf of other restaurants you know because i've told people i said that you know part of the problem is that we as consumers are the problem in some things you know, like we we're talking about yeah. fried chicken yeah i mean it, <laughs> it's always i mean i don't know if it's the problem but it's you you're just you spend time trying to figure out what works for the consumer mm-hmm. you know i mean that was obviously what happened to us with the two restaurants it's like i had a restaurant where people went maybe once or twice a year or once every two years, mm-hmm. then I needed to build something that people would want to go to every single day. And that has something to do with comfort level and, and you know, familiarity. And, um, you know, it's, I, I definitely think the business has changed a lot since COVID. Man. I mean, hugely. See, I, I agree. I don't, it wasn't caused by COVID, but I think COVID accelerated where we were going to end up anyway. I think so. I, I do think that, you know, there's been this shift, at least on my side of things. I don't know, like the culinary scene as a as a whole isn't as exciting as it was. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, it, the people aren't pushing as much as they were before. 
And it's... I, I, I are you talking really about like on the artistic side? Yeah, the artistic side and, and just in general. it's It just seems... I don't know if it's Kansas City or what, but it does seem it just seems a little stagnant right now. I'm not saying that's not going to change. Well, well, th- well, that's that's your fault. <laughs> well, no, because that's because that kind of artistic creation wasn't done at a ride that was done at a blue stem. Yeah, well, of course, but I mean, you just don't see a lot of stuff. I don't know. It's just the stuff that's opening. Yeah. It's, it's different. I yeah. feel like than yeah. it was. Well, I think people in the business have. Uh, more of appreciation of quality of life, and 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 that is definitely changed. you know that makes a difference. Yeah. I think the number of times people eat out. Do you do a much curbside pickup? At no, I mean we try to. So you've avoided COVID, that so far. But I just I don't like my products when they leave the door. Yeah, I mean you know that's crazy because it's um you a lot of these restaurants thirty forty percent of what they do is online ordering. Yeah, for carry out. Yeah, I'm I'm. I don't. I obviously carry out food myself all yeah. the time. Yeah, I'm just never happy with it, with my stuff. Okay, so you do it as a consumer, but you won't do it as a restaurant. No, and we do do yeah, it, but you I, don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want people in my restaurant. You know, I, I feel like eating eating the food in in the restaurant is part of the experience. Yeah. So. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's anytime I find somebody being a hypocrite, I find that amusing. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I mean, and I, and when I do carry out food, it's truly because I'm tired and okay. So I don't or, want names, but what kind of food do you do carry out personally? Oh, mainly like Thai food and okay, stuff like that. Okay, for sure. Yeah. So do you try to? Because I feel it, like that's the food that actually tra- travels. More. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, we're struggling with that because I've I, I will never do delivery services. Yeah, I mean, we did a little bit during COVID, and I hated it. No, I mean, what people don't understand is that um, the restaurant loses 30% off yeah. the top. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and it's sometimes higher if you actually add up all those different fees. You have no control once it leaves no. your counter. No. And we have no idea if it's going to be delivered in five minutes or five hours. Yep. And if there's any problem anywhere, they go back and charge you. Yep. They claw back the money, so you lose the money, and you don't know if a driver ate it, yep. delivered it the wrong, that kind of stuff. So I refuse to do that. We're just now starting to do the curbside pickup for people, mm-hmm. and we're kind of creating a secondary menu that we think travels better. Because I don't. Yeah, and I mean, I think chicken travels fine. Yeah. You know, mashed potatoes travels fine. Yeah. But some things just don't. You know, yeah. it's. Yeah. And we had to go through the menu and. It's funny, like if somebody orders charcuterie or something at the mm-hmm. restaurant where it's all laid out properly and garnished properly mm-hmm. and what have you, but when you put that in a box, it literally the value looks terrible. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a yeah. Yeah, but what's interesting is that the younger generation has no problems paying good money for they're paying delivery fees as well as the restaurants losing yeah. percentage. Yeah, I mean it's it's you pay for convenience. Yeah. I mean I think that's that's a big deal for a lot of yeah. people. Okay, so you've got the, so you've got the ride that's over in Mission Farms, yep. uh, which you've had that the longest. How much different was it doing the plaza? Because that's um, a touristy area. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was easier because we knew what we were doing. Yeah, and the guy that uh, is our designer, he it, we used a couple of different ones when we did Leewood, and when we did Plaza, we knew we you have a to designer. Work. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's a you know he's a yeah. guy that. And not that he's a guy that he basically he started with GNR. I mean, okay. he, he's the guy that did, you know, Houlihan's original. Yeah. And he what he does is he procures like artifacts and light fixtures and yeah. stuff like that. And he just has a vision of things and he's brilliant. And 
Yeah. And oh, I'm yeah. like, I want to see that. Like, I wanted a vin- vintage stereo system on the plaza. I want all vintage speakers. Yeah. Reel to reel. You know. It's a driven. science. It's a science. Yeah, and he knew where he knew he knew a guy. You know, and I got all the stuff I wanted, and that's so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had Jasper on the show a couple months ago, and and he had uh, one of the, the the people from Gilbert Robinson came in. They were mm-hmm. friends of the of Jasper's family, and he talked about the chairs when they moved to their current location. He goes, "Told Jasper, you need to get rid of these chairs." He goes, "People love these chairs." He goes, "No, you need to get rid of these. You need to buy a ninety minute ass chair." Yep. And he goes, "What in the world is that?" He goes, "Those chairs are too comfortable. They're going to sit there for two to three hours." <laughs> he goes, "You need a chair that looks comfortable, feels comfortable for about ninety minutes." And they say, "Oh." About time to go. Yeah. And he said they spent all that money on that chairs. And he goes, sure enough, we added one more turn to the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, that's that's definitely old school stuff that yeah. they used to think about. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think we probably have those, but it wasn't intentional. Yeah. The, for us, it's trying to find stuff that I don't have to replace every three years because yeah. it breaks down. So. Yeah. I've never been to the Plaza one. I, Mission Farm's just easier for me to go yeah. to. Yeah, we live out there as well. Yeah. Is, is, is the menu exactly the same? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I have two different chefs at both stores, and the, the base of the menu, like the steaks, the chicken, you know, appetizers, stuff like that, are the same. But some of the seasonal entrees, yeah. I let them use their creativity because yeah. that's part of, you know, hanging on to people. Is So being on the plaza with the touristy stuff didn't have, no, you didn't have I to mean, make it, a big change? No, it's, it's, it's the same. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, having different concepts is tough. You know, it's much easier to have two of one than four I, of I, I all can different see that. things. So, yeah. No, no interest in adding another location then, right? Not right now. COVID definitely gave me some PS, you know, PTSD. Yeah. PTSD. Yeah, it, it was. I, I was, I'm not saying I'm done, but, you know, I've got two kids to put through college and yeah. I'm not sure I want all the risk right now. So, you know, we're, we're just we're pretty content with what we have for now, but I know at some point I'll get itchy and want to do something else. Yeah. So the, the creative itch. Yeah. It's just right now we're in good shape and you know, I just knock on wood. I don't right? want to yeah. rock the boat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you weren't going to go, this is a tough question. You don't have, you can change the subject if you want to. Um, so if you weren't going to go to your place, where else would you go for fried chicken? This is a Texan question. Would I go to fried chicken. I I do really like the Strouds up north. Yep, I think is really good. Um, where else? The, that's one of the problems with opening restaurants. It's yeah. like I fry a lot of chicken, and I'm not yeah. in the mood to eat it. So, so you won't eat that anywhere else. Uh, I mean, I will. It just depends. I mean, I think Gus's is good. Yeah. I think Strouds is good. Um, I'm trying to think who has more of a sit down. Thing. But again, I just I don't eat a lot of fried chicken other yeah. than ours. So, well, do yeah. you eat it at the restaurant? So to yeah to test it to test it yeah, quality so, control. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I and it's not that it's you know I get sick of it. It's just I I know it's not real good for me to eat a lot. Are of you fried a gizzard? Chicken. Did you ever eat gizzards? I'm, yes, I love them because you don't do them. Yeah, we do, yeah we do. Oh, do you really? Yeah, and we do them. They they kind of come on and off the menu. Okay. Um, I don't think they're on right now. We do do them at brunch. Okay. We serve them with gravy and put them over grits. All right. So um, Stevenson's was famous for their gizzards. Yep. Did you ever go to Stevenson's? Yep. All right. So they, they were on my show uh, recently. And so uh, somebody that used to work there um, texted in the secret to their gizzards, why they were so tender. They cook them in the oven in lard. Oh, really? They braise yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah. Braise them in lard. Yeah. We, we used to actually, um, we don't do it anymore, but we sous vide them. Mm-hmm. You know, to get them yeah. to soften up a little bit, yeah. but yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good way to do that. Oh yeah, 
But it's um. Well, they, I say braise. It's more confit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they do the same thing. They used to do the same thing with their pork chops. Oh, really? Big, big thick pork chops. Yeah. They're so. Um, because oh, I had several callers that talked about. Well, <laughs> it doesn't really add that much. No, I'm just. I yeah. I, it really I, does, I do. It I'm sounds a, I worse am a little conscious is. about that from time to time. I'm like, what am I doing to people? Oh my sure gosh. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at, how many clients do you have eat their two meals a day every day though? Oh, I don't know. We have. We have quite a bar program, so okay. we drink. We drag in a lot of people from that too. So, <laughs> all right. So, what's your um, <laughs> Thai food? I, I understand that because we've got a couple of restaurants that do amazing Thai food, mm-hmm. several, and that's not something you dabble in. No. So what, what's another good restaurant that you would go to just for fun? Oh, I mean, obviously, I love Italian food. We go to Jasper's. We go to Farina. Mm-hmm. Um, where else do we go? And I like a good steak. You know, I still like to go to Jess and Jim's, yeah. and every once in a while, we'll go to like 801 or Capital yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah, and a lot of times when I go out, it has to do with business stuff and other restaurants and things of that nature but i mean we go we go everywhere all right colby so when you're at home a, a big meal on sunday a saturday is sunday a, a family meal time yeah and you Who know cooks? at this point i i work during you the day Megan. more than anything i yeah. cook and i cook all the time really i cook all the time so meg is not carrying her half of the load no um, she she makes pastry stuff every once in a while but <laughs> oh really at yeah, home what does yeah. she make at home that you just I love mean, she, the, easy stuff that the kids eat like brownies and stuff okay. like that and cupcakes and stuff like that but no i i cook all the time and i cook everything from you know chicken on the grill to you know meg the kids they love everything braised so megan's favorite dish in the world is oso buco so i'll make yeah. that you know pot roast things short ribs you know i'm thinking about all this stuff because fall's coming and you know we pretty much eat out of our dutch ovens all winter yeah so, well, that's good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't have any training at all, you know, school hard knocks, but I've, I've grown up loving to eat food. Yeah. And so what I, I've, I learned through immersion, I find a, a, a single, single product, single recipe. And I just, am, I, I look at just like you, when you did your first business plan is how yeah. I do recipes. I look at every aspect and I remember the first time I did pastrami, it's like, okay, I want to tackle this, but what do I do? So yeah. I called Rod. Because he was a customer of ours. And I said, what do you know about pastrami? He goes, nothing. He goes, but I've always wanted to do that. And he goes, let me work on this. And so he calls he, he calls or texts every single famous barbecue competitor that we see on TV. Yeah. You know, I mean, all those guys. You know, uh, Trig, you know, I mean, Nixon. Nixon yeah. all the, and he goes, okay, what do you know about pastrami? And so those guys worked at all these restaurants all over the place. So he came back and he did a couple of tests. He goes, all right, here's what I got. Yeah. Do what you do. Now, Rod is an outstanding. Coach. Oh, he's, I mean, he's just, he's a food nerd. He yeah. loves, loves. I was in, I have, you know, in the past few years and less so since COVID, but I was cooking quite a bit, c- competing. I have yeah. a big trailer and everything. And um, actually the two guys that I work for me that helped me during COVID, it was kind of tough because we were short staffed and. I ended up cooking by myself for about a year and a half, and yeah, I love that world. Yeah. So, what's what's one food that you nerded out on that has no practical purpose in your restaurants? I don't have a specific food, but the, when the molecular stuff had started, okay. I was obsessing over all of that because at the time, I mean, it was it was that was the that was the front line. That was what everyone was doing. Yeah. And you know, I was making you know fruit spheres and things yeah. like that and and I, at one point i kind of 
realized, I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm spending all this time making this stuff, and yeah. everyone doesn't even look at it. They just yeah. shovel it in their mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that was that's probably the one thing that I okay. completely nerded out and obsessed over. Yeah. And it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, so you know, the, the two things that I've done that I, I – so um, spinach artichoke dip. Yeah. I've mastered that. It's absolutely amazing. I, I, you know, I've given it away a couple of times. You know, as a, as a, but there's no way. F- I have no idea. There's no way for me to to sell it. Sure. And it's not economically feasible the way I make it to sell it by the pint or the quart. I mean, it'd have to be thirty dollars a quart. You know, but I mean, but the flavor is just absolutely amazing. But I'll, I, there's nothing. Do I can you do actually with it. get fresh artichokes and yeah, I, mean, I did. We, it's 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 crazy the degree that I go to on yeah, that. I love it. You know, but but it's just fun. Just to just sometimes you do things just for the knowledge and the experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what happened to me with barbecue, because I didn't really know how to do it when I was younger. When I got into cooking, and then I reached a point where I could actually go and compete, <clears throat> and it was really nice talking about Rod and those guys. They, you know, they didn't know me from Adam and. I kind of started getting into the world, and Joe from Slaps and all those guys kind of took me under their wings mm-hmm. and showed me how to do stuff oh, and gave me all their information. There's so much knowledge culture. and technique there that crosses over to yeah. other 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 things. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I I do take one back. So the the one that's probably the most amazing thing I've ever done is my pizza. So I so pizza is definitely a world you a whole rabbit hole that you can go oh, absolutely deep, deep down into. so here's the crust is what what yes the biggest uh, thing that i figured out on that one so i've got these amazing bread baking ovens that i inherited when i moved into the place so i was able to make a thin and chewy uh pizza crust uh-huh. but it's a sourdough crust i mean it has the the crunch and chew of an amazing baguette a lot of the same techniques on doing that one but it is not economically feasible because you know, there's no way. There's not because it takes three days to make that dough. Right. I've got to rest it. You know, and you can't you can't bulk rest it the last 24 hours. So I'd have to get a probably 20 by 30 foot walk-in cooler just to yep. be able to do 100 pizzas a day. Yeah. I'm not going to do. Nobody's going to do that. I mean, we kind of go through that with our chicken because we brine it and then we yeah. dry it. You know, it's a two day process before it even hits the yeah. hits the fryer. But I, but I love that. I mean, yeah. just so. So we'll do that about once every two years. I'll make pizza for one night. Yep. And it's just I put it in my mailing list, and only people that know what it is will come get it. So I'll probably one of these Wednesday night dinners. I'm going to do that, and I'm not going to announce I'm, it on the radio because I don't want a ton of people. Pizza's tough, and yeah. I think it just might be one of those things that, you know, if it's not perfect, then I obsess over All right. it. So. All right. So um, sorry about that. So uh, be sure to uh, we're coming up on the end of the hour. We lost track of time. Be sure to come by and see us at Best Regards Bakery and Cafe in 119th and Metcalf. I love to see you, Colby. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Help me get uh, your wife in and a couple of your friends. Sure, absolutely. Love to do all that one. Thank you, Rocco. This concludes this broadcast of Kansas City Food Memory.